2: Before you go, I have a question for you. Of course. What is the truth? We place faith in ourselves. We see the world the way it really is, and hope that one day all mankind might see the same. What is the world, then? An illusion. One which we can either submit to, as most do, or transcend. What is it to transcend? To recognize nothing is true and everything is permitted that laws arise not from divinity, but reason. I understand now that our creed does not command us to be free. It commands us to be wise.
3: Awesome clip, and so true, and so permitted. It's not from a movie, though, but from the video game Assassin's Creed. A gnosis charge exchange that echoes bigly the ethos of the assassins. Who are the Islamic descendants of, yes, the Gnostics? Nothing is true, everything is permitted, is a central point of the creed, originally proclaimed by the founder of the Assassins, Hassan Sabah. As Jason Reza Jorjani explained in a past interview, this is not some call to hedonism or nihilism not at all nothing is true means the nature of reality is ultimately illusionary a simulation as so many modern physicists and scientific exemplars like neil bostrom donald hoffman and neil degrasse tyson have contended a brittle coding that must be hacked to experience the one and real truth I
2: can't go back, can I? No. But if you could, would you really want to? As long as the Matrix exists, the human race will never be free.
3: As for the everything is permitted part, in the original Arabic, it means everything is halal, the Islamic version of kosher. This means that we cannot be restrained by dogmatic orthodox rules, customs, and ancient law books that garret our individuality and inherit ability to find higher states of consciousness. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? The Gnostic vibe is found in so many places, sometimes smuggled. Crowley said, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. But he took that from the former Gnostic, Augustine, who said, love and do what thou wilt. And Augustine piggybacked on Paul. Another Gnostic influencer, who said, Everything is lawful to me, but not everything is beneficial.
0: Am I evil? Worse, you're smart. When you know nothing matters, the universe is yours. And I've never met a universe that was into it. The universe is basically an animal. It grazes on the ordinary. creates infinite idiots just to eat them. You know, smart people get a chance to climb on top, take reality for a ride, but it'll never stop trying to throw you, and eventually it will. There's no other way off.
3: It's taken so many existences for you to arrive here, as you have gradually grasped that Gnostic creed. Now you materialize at the Virtual Alexandria to become your own assassin. Welcome.
0: This is blasphemy. This is madness!
3: Aeon by Gnostic Radio. An initiation by conversation into the dark corners of myth, magic, and meaning. A crash course in cult, culture, and conspiracy. A virtuous virus invoking and informing history, holiness, and heresy. Each week I, your host Miguel Connor. ...commandeers your connection to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention. Fun, compelling, and deeply weird, this is the blow-your-mind cocktail party conversation you always wanted to listen in on. Because you know now that nothing is true and everything is permitted. Psychotic drones where the mystic swims. Did you know that Hassan Sabah was an alchemist? And so were Isaac Newton, Hypatia, Queen Elizabeth I, Jacob Beme, and Thomas Aquinas. What company, eh? Well, that's our topic in this Eternal Now, and you'll find the way to embrace that Assassin's Creed with the core concepts and rituals of alchemy. Our astral guest is Brian Coutenois, who will be discussing his new book, Practical Alchemy, A Guide to the Great Work. A damn fine cup of alchemical lore, I say, I say. Whether you know little about alchemy or you're well-versed, Practical alchemy is, well, a practical work to get you into unifying your inner and outer world, take you further on that journey to experiencing the one truth that is eternity. A truly led to goal interview too, my beloved true seekers.
4: This man is dangerous. He carries no gun, no knife, no dynamite. Locked in his brain is a power stronger than a load of dynamite, the power to read men's minds and corrupt their women.
3: More than ever, we need that despised philosopher Stone, buried in the muck with the god in the gutter of Philip K. Dick. In this age of Hermes, We of the broken places are the only ones who can transmute a dying universe because we know nothing is true and everything is permitted. Our divine madness has been one alchemical laboratory ever since we were cast in meat sacks and the archons and their karens and katamites in the establishment wage war against us.
0: I was pressed down like coal. I suffered, that's what an angel is dust pressed into a diamond by the weight of this world.
3: As the fallen angel Scott Whelan sang in one of his many Gnostic tunes, flies in the Vaseline we are, sometimes it blows my mind. And as Michael Jackson sang in Billie Jean, be careful of what you do. Cause the lie becomes the truth. Or as the, the sang. And youth, oh youth, are being seduced by the greedy hands of politics and half-truths. The beaten generation reared on a diet of prejudice and misinformation. The beaten generation. Open your eyes, open your imagination. We're being sedated by the gasoline fumes and hypnotized by the satellites into believing what is good and what is right. You may be worshiping the temples of Maimon or lost in the prisons of religion, but can you still walk back to happiness when you've nowhere left to run? It's a huge shit sandwich and we're all gonna have to take a bite.
2: Hell is empty and all the devils are here.
3: We're running all right here at the Virtual Alexandria. We're running with those searching for the truth and avoiding those who have found it. It's all fun and games until someone loses a third eye and then it's just gnosis.
2: Let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skylar. I am the danger.
3: Let us end with some words from C.G. Jung on alchemy and what it means. And how it's all about Hermes, because this is his age, and there is nothing anyone can do about it, including Yaldi Baldi. When the alchemist speaks of Mercurius, on the face of it he means Quicksilver, Mercury. But inwardly, he means the world creating spirit, concealed or imprisoned in matter. The dragon is probably the oldest pictorial symbol in alchemy, of which we have documentary evidence. It appears as the Ouroboros, the tail-eater, in the Codex Marcianus, which dates from the 10th or 11th century, together with the legend, The One, The All. Time and time again, the alchemists reiterate that the opus proceeds from the one and leads back to the one. That it is a sort of circle like a dragon biting its own tail. For this reason, the opus was often called Circulare, circular, or El rota, the wheel. Mercurius stands at the beginning and end of the work. He is the Prima Materia, the Caput Corvi, the Nigredo. As dragon he devours himself, and as dragon he dies, to rise again in the Lapis. He is the play of colors in the Cauda Pavonis, and the division into the Four Elements. He is the hermaphrodite that was in the beginning, that splits into the classical brother-sister duality and is reunited in the conuncio, to appear once again at the end in the radiant form of the lumen novum, the stone. He is metallic yet liquid, matter yet spirit, cold yet fiery poison and yet healing draft, a symbol uniting all the opposites.
2: Every man is born as many men, and dies as
4: a single one. Your life is yours to create.
3: Nothing is true, everything is permitted. Then everything is possible, including your alchemical union with Eternity led us to our interview with Brian Cotenois. Write your own gospel, live your own myth.
1: You mentioned a creed before. Mm-hmm. What is it?
2: Nothing is true. Everything is permitted.
1: That is rather cynical.
2: It would be if it were doctrine, but it is merely an observation of the nature of reality. To say that nothing is true is to realize that the foundations of society are fragile, and that we must be the shepherds of our own civilization. To say that everything is permitted is to understand that we are the architects of our actions, and that we must live with their consequences, whether glorious or tragic. Do you regret
1: your decision to live as an assassin for so long?
2: I do not remember making that decision. This life, it chose me. For three decades, I have served in the memory of my father and my brothers and fought for those who have suffered the pain of injustice. I do not regret those years. This is the A.M.
3: Bide interview. And with us, we have the pleasure of having Brian Cottenois to discuss his book practical alchemy a guide to the great work brian how are you and thank you very much for coming on the show Um,
5: i'm well and and uh thank you for having me Uh, i look forward to look forward to the discussion
3: oh a lot of great uh topics and content to cover that's for sure and with us too we've got nate the occult fan nate how are you doing and thanks for coming too Hey,
4: Brian. Hey, Miguel. And hey, everyone listening. Thank you, Miguel, for uh, allowing me to uh, tag along today. And uh, shout out to Vance, because much respect and love.
3: There you go. And thank you for please allowing yourself to introduce yourself (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) But uh, always good to have you. And yes, we do miss the Moondog, but uh, he had some responsibilities to do, and such is the world of matter. So, Brian, I really enjoyed your book, Practical Alchemy. And in your book, you do say this is the kind of book you wish you had when you got started. And I have to agree. I've read many books on alchemy. Mm -hmm. I have interviewed many guests on alchemy as well. Uh, Obviously, my focus is more on Gnosticism, Hermeticism from a philosophical point of view from the metaphysics. But this is the kind of book I wish I had started with 100%. So good job. Well thank you thank you.
5: I mean that was always when I started doing my my research let's call it when I first encountered alchemy and started reading it and actually started getting kind of serious about it it you know it just takes a while to start to figure out this is like in the 70s weren't that there weren't really any other books around except primary sources right And uh, was working at Weiser's bookstore at the time, and um, they had primary sources. But, you know, you have to, (laughs) you've got a lot of work to read. You've got to work your way through that. And I was thinking, keeping notes, keeping notes, and things started to shape up. And I thought, you know, what we really need is just something straightforward (laughs) that would, (laughs) you know, set a ground, you know, so that people can orient themselves and actually do some initial practical work that could then develop into, you know, secondary, more experimental, exploratory work. Um, And the thing with the practical work is, um, as you were saying, your interests are in Hermeticism, Gnosticism, um, Neoplatonism, things like this. And this is a practice of those philosophies, right? It is a, it's an embodiment that allows an opening up of an inner channel, you know, for the ascent of the One, so to speak. And it is in the practical that these things are initiated. And so that's what I tried to do with this book, I mean, was to give a framework that you can understand the, the theories, and they're not really all that complex, but if you're not familiar with it and you're piecing it together, it can take a while. Um, having some of the theories, having a larger framework of the philosophies that they came up in, and then um, a series of practical work uh, that's alchemical, that works with the theories. And a lot of this is based on herbal work. A lot of it is based upon uh, some of the writings of Manfred Junius and uh, Frate Albertus, both both deceased, but contemporary alchemists. And then there's a, a bunch of others in the 30s and 40s that were doing some experiments and writing as well. Most famously, Fulcanelli in the 20s and 30s. Um, but that's the thing. It, it was like I, I wanted to have something that basically, if I come around again, <laughs> if you know what I mean, <laughs>
3: forget I, I could everything. <laughs>
5: cut, yeah, I could cut to the chase, if you know what I mean. So I figured, you know. Other people may find this useful as well, and mostly to stimulate a like this isn't an impossible study. This isn't an impossible field of research or consideration for practice or what have you, that there there are meaningful things that can be done on many levels. So that was one of the other ideas
3: yeah it's all there in about a hundred pages you get taken on a journey and it clarified and i would say for the listener for you heretics out there it doesn't (laughs) matter if you're getting started or where you are these books are great and brian's book is great i mean i love i really have a lot of passion for any intro on gnosticism because a i get a refresher B, I often find myself, I've gotten into some bad intellectual habits or I've gotten lazy. So I'm like, oh, this kind of tightens things up. And C, these books always have, uh, the author always has like, a there's a new insight that they bring that nobody else right. brings. And right. you go, aha, this really helps my experience. Right. So it, your book just does all the, that. It,
5: it's all the different perspectives that we need. Mm-hmm. Right? The more perspectives that we have, I mean, you know, the more we got to work with them, the more problems are in sort of resolving contradictions to sort of see this <laughs> yeah. as the unity that it purportedly is. But it is. Um, I, I feel the same way. It's like any time I read something or speak to somebody, it may not, it may not be how I see it, like now, right, <laughs> you know I, exactly. because it's constantly changing as, as any real live field of practice or art or research does. You know, each new insight leads to a reevaluation of previous insights. And, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole, I'm sure. But, I mean, this is where alchemy then will say, well, then you need to test it in the world. Um, This is where it's like, okay, if this is, if what you say is so, show me. You know, uh, that was one of the, in later alchemy, 17th century alchemy, it was was a, a, a saying per ignium by fire. Uh, that if you're claiming you can do such and such a thing, alchemically, chemically, materially, what have you, then okay, <laughs> you should have yeah. nothing to hide. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's get it on.
3: You know. Yeah, I love. I don't know who said it, Brian, but somebody mm-hmm. said uh, um, alchemy is the yoga of Gnosticism and Hermeticism.
5: I, I yeah, I don't know who said that, but that's correct. It is the <laughs> physical. It, it 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 is true. Uh, in the sense that it, it's well, it's like eamblicus's, you know, uh, material practice, right. animation of statues, uh, ritual. It's it saw the saw matter, uh, you know, the divine scattered throughout matter, and that reassembling this or putting it together, you could open up channels and things like this. And it's just an extension uh, of that. It's like iconography is like this as well. Orthodox icon where will use matter uh art means right to create this channel to the divine right through uh, through the creation of the telling of a visual story and icon writing um that's a reflection of your soul but then where you're intending to go kind of a thing and anyhow so there is this interaction with with matter uh throughout these spiritual disciplines and um or philosophical ones Music is much the same way, right? It's a material, it's a material practice, right? It causes effects, you play with it, you do it, but at the same time, there's some deeper philosophical things that it can lead you to. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Yoga is the, yeah, alchemy (laughs) is the yoga of uh, Gnosticism, yeah, and Hermeticism. Yep.
3: Awesome. And how did you become interested in alchemy? What was your journey like, besides not finding your own book all these years?
5: (laughs) Yeah, well, that was it, mostly. No, um, it's really this uh, since the book has. Well, here's the thing with this book. I don't want to discourage people from buying this book. Please do buy this book. But if you have the Weiser's Concise Guide, it is an essential reissue of that book. Nice, nicely done. I think I, I like the cover. I like what they did with it. It's a little bit more. It's a little bit more big, and is a great introduction by Robert Bartlett, uh, a, a very alive contemporary practicing alchemist, and uh, whose works you should read. Um, but with this, there's always been that, like you know, how did you? And I've really been thinking about it, and I trace it back to I got my adult library card as a kid um I think mostly just to keep me off the streets and so I I would just wander the stacks and just kind of read at random and um I came across and I believe it's um John Reed's alchemy it's a it's an early book on 1950s 1950s 60s or so on the history of alchemy and it's actually quite good it's either his or Titus Burkhart's because they're about the same size and they have a red and white Anyway, I'm nerding out here. Um, but I saw this and I looked at it and it annoyed me. It irrit- I can't put my finger on why. It irritated the hell out of me. So I put it back on the shelf and then I came back to it the next day and it kept on irritating me more. The more I would read, the more I would look. It was like, and like thinking back on it, I, I think it was the fact that my I have had have still do have very strong interests and practices both within the arts and the sciences, and so I was seeing this thing that was like if I could look at it this way I'm fine if I could look at it that way I'm fine. In other words, as early proto science proto chemistry yeah I get this. I'm looking at the images like I just like the one you sit with the splendor solace type images. I'm going, I, I can, I can dig that, you know, but what are these two things? You know, what are they? This is a. you know, I couldn't put it together, I guess is what it was. And it kept annoying me. And then I just kept going back. And then I really just kept going back. And then I really started to read. And then, um, I was probably about 14 or so went to Weiser's. We, I came into the village with one of my older sisters and friends, and uh, went to, I wanted to go to Weiser's because I knew Weiser's was the bookstore. If you don't know what this is, oh, yeah, exactly yeah, gonna say, For those who don't know what this is Samuel Weiser Bookstore, right? It, it still exists as a mail order and actually they're the ones who published this book. Um, they existed since the 1920s and it was one of the oldest occult bookstores. And um, so anyway, Went there and I saw the two volume set of Paracelsus, the Hermetic and Alchemical Writings of Paracelsus. And it was like, someday you will be mine. Um, <laughs> and that was it. I finally got that, was reading other things. Uh, all this while, uh, you know, it's not just alchemy I'm focused on, it's everything else surrounding it. But this was what I was, it just bit me, bit me hard. I don't know why. Started with the annoyance and then just kept on going. And then, um, worked at Weissers for a while just to be able to read after high school. And then I went to college to study chemistry and physics. So I could actually do more laboratory work. And that's kind of what I did. Um, and then just kept at it, you know? So that's, that's pretty much the, that's pretty much how it started and uh, you know, where, where it is now, you know, it was a, an intensely obsessive, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a thing you know i one
3: of the goals of your book is to demystify the relationship between alchemy and chemistry you'd be well, the person to do it
5: <laughs> yes well that was it it was part of it was i was reading these alchemical texts and i can see that there was a um a physical process there uh, it just if you if you if you read these works especially the early alchemical work before even when they were using um um uh, dec, uh, uh, code names uh decnam uh for these things they were just sign switching you know it wasn't so much a symbol that was kind of representing other forces and things um they really are chemical processes and they mimic what was known in the greco-roman area era and even earlier with some of the Egyptian metallurgy. So there's there's that aspect of it. And so um, I went into chemistry to basically develop the technical skills so I won't blow myself up or kill myself, (laughs) Uh, but at the same time to to understand, um, you know, what what are the actual chemical forces involved? And I have to say, having studied chemistry has enabled me to kind of read an alchemical text and recognize, um, you know, what are the sources of some very active compounds, right? Uh, the making of aqua regia, the one acid that can dissolve gold, right? You'll read old recipes for it. It always needs a source of a chloride. If you don't see that in the recipe, you kind of wonder about it. And then sometimes they may have a different name that is pointing to the substance. Anyhow, they both inform themselves but alchemy for me uh, my interest in it is really in um, the intersection between the inner and the outer practices and where i find this the most alive is in the uh, greco-roman work and some of the islamic alchemy uh, where there is this awareness of and discussion of particularly in some of the works of Zosimos an early Greek, uh, Greco-Roman alchemist. uh, I mean, there really is this sense of what you are doing outwardly, right, in the flask, in what have you, is reflective of. And then they also, it's like very clear about, you know, techniques, sort of like meditative or visualization techniques that where um, his partner is saying, "I don't quite understand what you mean," and his answer to her is, "Well, join me in a vision," and she goes, "Well, how do you do that in the daytime?" And he goes, "Well, here's how you do it," and it's, and he says like these three words, which allude to a quote from the um, Corpus Hermeticum, "Calm the twelve pat," you know, the twelve causes of death, right? What are they? And well, your passions, anger, all these sorts of things. So um, within the practice is this reflection of um, what is happening in in nature, sort of like creation, but then also what is happening, I don't know how to put it for want of a better word, the geometry of the soul, cosmic soul in the small soul, right, as expressed through the balances and the impacts of alchemy or alchemical practice. So this is all there. And what happens is as, as it evolves, it has many different purposes, right? And people get attracted to different things, right? Uh, medicinal alchemy is one of the bigger branches of it throughout its, its sort of very long history because it was to cure the illness of metals, uh, cure the I- illness of the world and cure any illness of humans. And it, it stems out of you know these early practices. Anyhow, this to me is where the fullness of it is. And then different alchemists, different time periods, different areas focus on different aspects of that, whether the spiritual, material or um, medicinal. But so that's um, that's how I see material practice. It it has its benefits. This is something that Manfred Junius had said. He's the. did a lot on plant alchemy and he was an ayurvedic doctor actually and um what he would always say is like you know if you're doing alchemy right there's this there's this real temptation to get into the transmutational uh, aspects of it and one should there, there's a great deal to be gotten from that more in the pursuit of wisdom than the pursuit of gold but um medford junius's point was is that if you focus the work you're doing on alchemy on healing on medicine you are karmically secure, and this is how he always phrased it. It was like it, right it's a good one it's um it's whereas if you start going for the transmutation in the gold, it's just like you're on a you, you know money money and ego i mean come on where's that <laughs> what's the problem with that?
3: <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what
5: could possibly go wrong with that? Not that healing doesn't have those kind of aspects to it, but a little less so, you know uh, this, guess what I did? I transmuted lead into gold. And now I have, I mean, come on, you know? So that was his, that was his take on it is not that there wasn't something to be gained from that sort of work and research, but it's a, you know, it's a slippery slope to self-delusion. Um, his other point to that too, was that, because I had met with him a couple of times, as well as at seminars and, um, And and people would ask him about the whole transmutational thing. And he was like, yeah, all that it's good if you can. But he goes, it works with such toxic materials, right? Such poisonous metals, all these types of things. And he said, just again, the karmic or, you know, community responsibility goes, where are you going to put that? you know what happens if you have an accident? It's not just you, you know, it was this type of thinking. So that plus the, you know, you got a lot of work to do with herbs. So, you know, just just kind of focus in that world. Uh, and then, um, and this is where Robert Bartlett does some very interesting work with Ayurvedic uh, uh, alchemy, is what they call um, basras. It's this uh, herbal mineral metal interface. It's a kind of a mix of two, uh, using usually beneficial metals and beneficial herbs. It's something to look into. Um and so there's a lot to explore alchemically if you just dealt with healing herbs and, and these things without necessarily having to get into, you know, the hardcore metal fusing acids, you know, right. this kind of thing of trying to change lead into gold. Um, but that said, there's a lot, there's a lot there. You know what I mean? There's a a lot there, particularly if you are reading and studying this material in its larger context, philosophically, theurgically, um, these types of things. It it will have a much deeper meaning other than, you know, how do you make this pigment? How do you change this to look like that? Uh, What's this glass about, you know? And this is the early Greco-Roman material. And if anyone's very curious about reading any of this, it would be uh, Zosmos, Z-O-S-M-O-S of Panoply uh, Any actual writings by him, it, they're a little dense, they're a little what have you. Um, there's a series of works that is being translated from the Arabic. Uh, he wrote in around the third century, but um, Arabic, from Greek to Arabic are some of the earlier translations and some of the more complete works, and those are now available. And some of that work is amazing. Uh, what he's writing about and how he's speaking, you just see this union of both the physical outer work and then the meditative dream you know, type stuff that's going on as well. You You start to get a glimpse of what this full practice could be. Right? So anyway, I don't know how that got started, where that went I know, but it's been. but a here we are. <laughs> here
3: we are. No, that's a, love it. Love exactly what you said. Uh, yeah. But um, I think, uh, yeah, for uh, Zosimos, I should mention too, God, if you read this, cosmology is like he's straight out of the secret book of John from the Nag Hammadi Library. So this guy, exactly. was, uh, this exactly. guy was a Gnostic, true and true. <laughs>
5: Absolutely. And this is the thing with the with the Emerald Tablet. Um, where it speaks about this whole cyclical creation of, um, it's typically understood, uh, you know, the above, as above, so below, as below, so above. Uh, The earliest translations of it actually have something a little more interesting. It's the below comes from the above and the above comes from the below. We're actually vice versa. The above comes from the below. That's the first line. And the below comes from the above. And so you get this idea of circulation constant, ongoing, incessant circulation. Um, And the way they speak about it alchemically is a particular device uh, that's a circulation device, a kerotocus. And the bottom part is called Hades. There's the divine water, all these sorts of things. In the Apocryphon of John, you find the same language, right? There's an ascent, uh, uh, descent back down again to free the prisoners from their chains. Same thing in an alchemical text, says the same thing. It ascends, descends three times, each time opening up the prisoners from their chains. So what you have are two documents, one speaking from a very inner one and one speaking from an outer one and the emerald tablet saying, yep, it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> both guys. It's... This is the nature of the universe. It's uh, whatever field you look at, these are its basic ground rules. This is how I've come to understand what the Emerald Tablet is saying. And and because of that, it starts to emphasize the fact and the Emerald Tablet says this explicitly, is that the same rules for the macrocosm are the same rules as follows the microcosm, as follows the work. Um, And so that's true for any really what it's saying, the rules of creation are the rules of creation. So whether it's a big one, the macrocosmic one, or the small one, these, the way creation unfolds is the same way. And if you become aware of that, um, you have far more, far more interesting, as an artist, far more interesting control over your medium, as well as what the impact of that is. Um, because what they're speaking of also in the Emerald Tablet is this idea of, uh, and it says in the Arabic, uh, talisman, talisman, right? The father of talismans. This is the father of, uh, and what a talisman means in this sense is the end of a uh, result of something, the end of a process, but it's one that has an impact and can cause a change, right? And this is exactly what alchemy does. It creates something that can then, then cause a change in and of itself. And I think most artists hope that's what they do. You know, they create something that then has an impact and a change. And so, within the writings of alchemy, particularly as you understand the inner philosophical aspects and how they link up with the material, I think you start to discover ways of working with your own material work as a Gnostic path, in a sense, or a Hermetic path, uh, following the example or patterns that you see in, in alchemical practice. So, this is the sort of thing I'm exploring now and have been and this was the 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 practical alchemy was the first step towards that in establishing kind of a a base of practices that through my reading and other people's work like Frato Albertus, Manfred Junius, other alchemists, other people I knew like okay what do we what do we really need as a primer to get us if someone were coming in and you wanted to get started without kind of overwhelming you with all this stuff, right? And now that that's there, it's like I feel we all have and it's developed, right? There is a groundwork, uh, there is a sort of a vocabulary that has emerged around alchemy, contemporary alchemy. And, um, and so it's interesting to see how that now starts to get implemented or experimented with in, di- in different ways. I I don't know what that means exactly, but, um, well, for instance, the um, one big area that started perhaps in the 30s uh, was with alchemy through Rudolf Steiner, um, alchemy and um, biodynamics, right? Uh, One of the greatest 20th century alchemists was a German or Swiss, uh, von Bernis, Alexander von Bernis, and he wrote a book on health and alchemy healing and alchemy, and um, was very tied into taking the ideas of alchemy and biodynamics. I don't know anything about it. I spoke to some people recently about this, uh, kind of picking apart or looking into it, like what are the overlaps of it? And there are some, but nothing direct. It, it's almost as if the, the ideas were absorbed and then reapplied right, to what you were observing in the actual natural world. So this is what I'm saying is that um, with a grounding in the practical, you start to see um, how it can play out in other areas, both philosophically, artistically, etc.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MiniHealth understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
3: No, makes sense. And of course, you're mentioning 20th century, of course, we have to do the obligatory mentioning of Carl Jung, who oh, yes, was yes. You know, hugely influenced by alchemy. He, totally, he loved the language and the symbolism and what it did.
5: Exactly, and what he and what he did was he 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 used the theories, the philosophies, the frameworks of alchemy to explore and explicate his ideas of the human psyche. Right, and this is the thing with alchemy is that. It its theories do apply, they work. I mean, it's it's a very <laughs> yeah. rudimentary it's a very rudimentary simple one. You go, well, how how could it not? If you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Circulation, alternations, you know, things like this. It's like, well, yeah, it's everywhere in the world. Heartbeat, inhale, exhale, tides come in, tides go out, all this stuff. But um, but that's where he was absolutely brilliant. And like his red book really is this oh my god, yeah, psychonautic journey into you know skirting the edges of of madness trying and see in pursuit of wisdom you know but i think one of the things that happened is that um that was the lens by which all alchemy was seen and when you spoke of inner alchemy or 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 things it was understood to be a self-actualization of the human psyche right and that's true i mean if, if you can limit it to that but i think what it did do. Was to, I think, block a deeper view or well, not block a deeper view? Just you know the deflect one, uh, because you think you've got to the point where this inner work works, and it's guess what? It's working.
1: I'm
5: um, <laughs> results from it, and um, so there's no need necessarily to go farther. I don't think too many people pose too many questions to go far further. And I find that when you when you remove Carl Jung and the psychologists from it. And you look at it more coming out of uh, the Hermetic, Neoplatonic traditions and practices. There's a whole inner work of alchemy that's spoken of in the Greco-Roman, Islamic, some of the early Western. It gets lost for a while and gets reinvented through the Rosicrucian stories and, you know, other things where they recognize how, how it resonates with the Christ story. Right. So it has that spiritual aspect to it. But as far as the practices go, I I don't know, right? You get into the Greco-Roman and you see what the inner practices are. It is what we call lucid dreaming. It is what we call a a very vivid visualization practice that you find in Mahayana Buddhist practice, uh, things like this. Uh, You'll find these purification practices that are intended to purify the, the inner eye, the mind's eye, right? And... I bring this up in talks from time to time, but it was really for me one of the more surprising places. I, I read, I just read, I just follow something <laughs> and I pick it up. So I was reading Proclus's comments on the on the on the first books of Euclid, right? You know, as one does at the beach. Of course, <laughs> and and, um, and I'm just reading it because it's geometry, and I'm interested in geometry, and I'm also interested in Proclus, right? neoplatonic philosopher that has a lot to say about the configuration of sort of the alchemical universe. And he's going through proofs and how you do this. And and then there are a couple of pages on the animation of statues and about how, what the geometry we're talking about is the statue, your inner statue. And that by purifying the inner eye, you can do the geometry inward and help build that inner statue. And I'm like, that's what geometry is about. And it is this practice of starting on the outside, pen and paper. And this is like any other material practice. The more you do something on the outside, sooner or later it starts showing up in your dreams. And this is what they start to speak of. And you can hear it when you see that, you start to recognize it in the rest of their text. It's like, okay, yes. And then when you recognize it in your dream, now this is where where the work begins. This is where, in terms of geometry, if you're aware of this, or even, even during a waking state that you can see this vividly in your mind's eye, like a triangle moving and changing and doing all the geometric stuff that one does without doing anything except seeing it in your mind's eye. Yeah. You've just purified that mind's eye. You've purified it so that whatever other work you are doing, you could do the same way. And then what this does, according to them is since it's geometry and geometry is everywhere, the world's soul geometry, the, you know, um, as you open one, it harmonizes with the other, and this channel opens up. So when the Neoplatonists were speaking of making statues, yeah, they were talking about making physical statues with these various elements in there that are just pieces of that, the peace will come together as sulfur yearns for the fire, the God will come. But it was really about opening up that statue within that you built. And that channel through the geometry is open to the world. So channel. And as the says, it's not the gods who come down to us, it's us that goes up to them. Right? Beautiful. After he talks about this whole thing about how you bring the gods down, he goes oh, yeah, by the way.
3: By the way.
5: <laughs> yeah, that that's yeah, that's just a way of speaking, you know. But this is what alchemy does. This is what this is what the practices of the of the early work were. Was I don't know how to say that, past whatever, back then. And um and that's what I think if people are interested in alchemy, yeah, do the healing, but the pursuit of wisdom is the other one. And I say, step aside from Carl Jung. I mean, he's great. Do him, you know, um, but start going to the, the primary sources of the of Hermes, of the uh, Neoplatonists and try to get a feel for what's going on there. Um, and, when you read these things, you, you will start. You, it, it will all start to come together in a very peculiar, interesting way. Because if you've done studies on alchemy, um, you'll start to see some of the sources of some of the ideas, and then how it's. Yeah, I encourage you to go forward. Um, <laughs>
3: Great yeah. advice. Yeah, the Great other. Advice. Thing, yeah, go the ahead. other thing
5: I wanted to mention about Carl Jung and is about the dream right? And this is really important. Interpret the dreams. This is incredibly important and it has its use and expression and has been used in alchemy where, you know, saying it has to do with this idea of the dream incubation from the ancient Greeks. You know, you'd repeat what your health problem was in the temple of a god. You'd go to sleep in the temple. but You'd have a dream that the priest would interpret, right? So this is a this is a very age-old common practice amongst the philosophers and alchemists. And in Zosimos, he talks about this. So there's this idea of posing a question, posing a problem, going into the dream, and then having the dream kind of, and then bringing it into the outer world to solve problems of the outer world. And this is really valuable and very good. And this is where psychology works in terms of healing by using that material to do that. But there's another aspect of the alchemical dream, which points you more inward, deeper into an underworld um, that has its own peculiar logic. And this is where it becomes very alchemical, where you will start to pose within that dream uh, as things come up in your alchemical practice that has now appeared in your dream. um, You'll see, you you know, we've all had dreams. We've all had characters come into these dreams and we've all had conversations with them, whether they were just absurd, what have yous, or something meaningful. When you're doing intentional work, uh, those kind of dreams tend to kind of have come from a more meaningful place. But what the alchemy will do or an alchemical dream and when you're in it, instead of just kind of getting the answer and coming back out and using it, is kind of probing a little further as to the source of the message and to kind of maybe go a little deeper into it. Um, this is where other channels open up and other ways of opening it up. Um, start to start to assert themselves, so to speak. So this is this is how practical alchemy is practical alchemy, but it really is um, it, it, just what the just, well. You, sorry, viewers at home, you don't have this image, <laughs> uh, but the image from the Splendor solace of the Rebus holding the egg and the uh, the shield of the of the elements and the earth, right? And this is what alchemy is about. By descending into matter, you are actually beginning your ascent and can ascend to the one. Right? That the material world is just this foam between two eternities.
3: Right? Beautifully said.
5: Well, thank you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it, uh, yeah, you're right. In the secret book of John and other texts in the Nag Hammari Library, it keeps saying the way of ascent is the way of descent. It keeps yep. playing with this theme, like you said, this... Uh, The moving parts of the cosmos and what you said too, Brian also reminds me of what uh, Ursula Le Guin once said, uh, Mm -hmm. how you play is what you win. And I Uh think that's a huge part of it. And that's um, great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I also love how in your book you quote the gospel of thomas and i've always said this is the most alchemical part of the gospel of thomas and that you know it is jesus is probably at the library reading or he's at starbucks enjoying coffee and his disciples gotta come "Ah, master master we need something he's like okay what's your question now of course they ask him how are we going to get to the kingdom that's usually what they want everybody wants to go to heaven
4: yeah yeah
3: jesus replies um when you make the two into one, and when you make the inner as the outer, and the upper as the lower, and when you make male and female into single one, so that the male shall not be male, and the female shall not be female, then you will enter the kingdom. Yeah, Beautifully like, said by uh, Jesus.
5: Yeah, and then, and then his disciples go, uh, uh, got any fish.
3: <laughs> can't we yeah. just pay you to go to heaven there's
5: like uh, there, there's other ones we just kind of give a coin to some guy on a boat you know
3: <laughs> Sharon, <laughs> it's like this, karen the boatsman or something. yeah right
5: right it's like uh, and this this just sounds like you know i don't know <laughs> but yeah but that's really this is yeah this is where yeah, as you as you really start studying these things, and you study alchemy, it, especially in that early time period of Gnosticism, Hermeticism, where you had this really a, an eclectic—I don't know—striving. I, I I don't know. Everybody was there, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, the Buddhists were in Alexandria since right. like in two B two hundred I mean, they were proselytizing there since, you know. I mean, since Alexander opened up the the, the 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 roadway, it's like everybody started coming east, I mean, coming west. And so they were teaching in, in Alexandria as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of ideas that it, it's really quite amazing. Um, so, again, encouraging people to go into primary sources and just, you know, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy it. Because I think if you're listening to this. Uh, if you've listened this far, yeah, you 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 probably could you probably be into the other stuff too. So. Yeah,
3: and it's it's everywhere. I was uh, reading of all the the Acts of Peter, very orthodox uh, text, yes. Brian. Yes, and that's the one while he's being crucified upside down, and Peter's right. like, "Oh, I'm going to end up in the the album cover of Ozzy Osbourne or Iron Maiden one right, of these right. days." <laughs> so that's why I'm being crucified. But he actually says, Peter goes let me quote jesus and jesus told us in a mystery unless you make the things of the right hand as those of the left and those of the left as those of the right and those that are above as though below and those that are behind as those that are before you will not have knowledge of the kingdom so even in peter or early christianity really was into this alchemical philosophy Mm
5: -hmm. exactly Exactly. It's sort of bringing everything to that point of a singularity, you know, goes beyond itself. And it's,
3: yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's wonderful. And uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, Nate, uh, what do you think? Or do you have a question for Brian? Uh,
4: I'm absolutely exploding with questions. Um, (laughs) this is amazing. I'm very grateful to be uh, here. Um, uh, so I guess just one, I'll I'll try to ask two as quickly as I can. And then, um, First of all, Brian, I'm wondering if you're familiar. There's been some really excellent work deconstructing the recent album. Um, I'm more interested in a different album called The Holy Gift, but uh, there's been recent work deconstructing the outcomical nature of the recent tool, Fear Inoculum. And I'm wondering, that's my first question, do you know anything about this? And of course, if you don't, it's something to look into. But have you heard of this?
5: No, uh, unless I'm just not understanding what you meant. Uh, sure. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with this. What, can you tell me what it is?
4: i would love to okay. and then i'll I'll jump to the second question as to be as yeah. quick as possible um so there's seven tracks on the album essentially and um
5: you say album you mean music
4: i do this is um when
5: okay okay i'm slowly catching up now no when i heard that the first thing i came to was a was an album of images of photos don't ask why it. but there we go i'm a little slow on the draw sometimes
4: no that's uh it's a synonym so it's perfectly relevant um okay. And there's lots of art that actually relates to this as done by Alex Gray. But um, I want to be as quick okay. as I can.
5: What is the name of the album?
4: It's Fear Inoculum. And it came out August 30th, 2019, right before. Uh, yeah. So uh, okay. it's like called it, you know, uh, talking about precognitive dream work and such. So, um Basically, there's seven tracks, and the last one's actually based in old Prospero, aka John D, aka 007. And so it's yeah, the tempest and the yeah, you know, oh. it's um so you would um the way for anyone who's interested in what I'm saying to bring this to a conclusion for now is um there's someone who actually on the tool, I think it's just like tool archive YouTube. Uh, you can look for the three or so different videos that they've done so far, but it has to do with even like they hit like York right Freemasonry uh, thing, you know, uh, Rosicrucian allegory in this album, which can be used. Uh, it uses like um, alchemical language in it, uh, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. like. So, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. I'll take a look
5: know. at it because it's and, always, to me. It's always very interesting when artists actually will start to like use some of the uh, the imagery.
4: Yes. That's why I brought-
5: it is just used because, like, wow, that's very cool. You know what I mean? Without anything more to it, but then sometimes you look at things and then you hear things and you go, no, wait a minute, no, no, they 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 seem to know what they're doing. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Or they yeah. they seem to have like an understanding that this has other other meanings beyond just cool. You know how cool this image is. Uh, so I'm very interested, and especially with seven tracks, you know, yeah, it, it starts to it starts to suggest some things. And the name of the group, the name of the the
4: it's called yeah, Tool.
5: That's the name of the group.
4: Yes. Okay. Um, because and we're talking about using fear, fear inoculum, fear what? inoculum, FI, like um like the word if um inverted. So instead gotcha. of like oh oh what if? Well, here's the inoculum to the fear. Gotcha. Um, because you just mentioned music and being able to actually use art. Yeah,
5: I'm very, 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 very interested in this. The latest zine I did, um, was on alchemy and music, and this is an area that um, is actually on my next, my next, you know, uh, field of research is uh, beginning to do some experimentation. I work in film, ah, documentary. And um, so I'm used to building audio tracks, not soundtracks, but like kind of audio sort of things. And um, I do a lot of kind of experimental stuff a long time ago. But uh, visually, I do these zines, which are kind of based on this kind of same idea of cut ups and pasting. So anyway, oh, so cool. I'm very yeah. interested in anyone that's working in music and alchemy and has these sort of themes to it. So I'll, I will definitely check them out.
4: Um, not to not to make Miguel want to strangle me. I'll just mention also that, of course, David Bowie did um, when he did 1995's Outside. He used a modernized version of the William Burroughs cut up technique to.
5: Oh, yes, I know. So my favorite album.
4: It's i listened to it this morning.
5: It's like I listen to parts of it almost every day.
4: Oh my God! I mean, I'm, I'm Nathan Lee, but there is a character called Nathan Adler and that album came out three days after my 11th birthday. So 11 wow. times three. Oh no. Yes. Um, yeah. this is no You're accident. Lose it. <laughs> oh dude. I'm, I'm loving this. I'm yeah. so grateful to Miguel. I
5: heard the first time I heard Bowie was star man. Uh-huh. Um, and it was, I was about, I don't know how old I was. He did that. What? 68. I was about 15 or so 15. And on the early, like AM radio in New York city, we're playing all this crap, you know, yeah and um radio came on you know alarm radio came on and all of a sudden it was like this guy david bowie and it was like Starman. i'm like okay now i could pay attention <laughs> you know what i mean oh for and sure i, I do saw him like 73 it's um, radio city music hall yeah anyhow wow yeah, it's a, yeah. True fan, a true fan here so yes and outside <sighs> to me is really um you know quite something and i think a lot of it has to do with it's the two things, the cut up technique, but then the the performative aspect of bringing those to life, if you know what I mean.
4: Oh, I do. I do. Um, it's very I mean, real. That,
5: I just want to point to something and then we'll get off this. But this is like really cool. Uh, Peter Brook, the theater director and uh, Oliver Sacks, he did The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat.
4: And musicology.
5: Yeah, and musicology. And... Um, but the man who mistook his wife, her hat, was done as a play directed by Peter Brook. Huh. I saw it. It is an amazing wow. piece. There's a part in there where this one man has, he, he, he can't put words together that make sense. Anything that comes out mm-hmm. of his mouth is a word salad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just random words. Except the tone, the pitch, the emotion, the rhythm, the performance of it, You swear you know what this man is talking about. Yes. And he gives this five to 10 minute performance that is just like jaw-dropping. I mean, it's like, I don't know what you're saying, but I know everything you just tried to tell me. If you could track this down, Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, and I don't know what this part is called, but chances are it's somewhere as a YouTube clip and to see this performance is really something. Thank you. But it gets to that idea of, you know, where do the various aspects of language reside? But now we're getting off into a whole other area. Oh, my God. Yeah.
4: Me. If Miguel would allow me, I'd just like to ask the second question. I'll be quiet.
3: Um, I hope it's about alchemy.
4: It, this is about alchemy. <laughs> this is. A,
3: definitely, um, <laughs> it's all but, alchemy.
4: Yeah,
5: um, dude.
4: <laughs> so, I, <laughs> rogue, rogue. yeah, no, um, I do. I, this will be more towards the Jungian dreamwork work of things, because yesterday, I was, in fact, I, uh, yesterday, without even knowing uh, I would be here today, I looked up Wiser in Newburyport uh, for you know, no reason. Oh, how so, fun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, this is happening. So I guess what I'm trying to say, my question directly about alchemy. Is that um, how, when you mentioned doing that dream work and you mentioned that other avenues would start to open up, I was Mm -hmm. wondering if you could talk a little bit about what I like to call divine feedback, what most people call synchronicity, but I think it would be excellent to get your perspective. Maybe I think it might have to do with that dream work and that so-called synchronicity or divine feedback. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about what happens when you do this dream work and what it looks like in a Mm -hmm. kind of a picture of what these other ways look like. I hope that's very directly to alchemy.
5: Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. And um, I mean, there is one, I mean, I can't get into the details of it because it is a dream and as dreams are, they get rather both personal and boring. You know (laughs) what I'm saying? Um, But I'll, I'll tell you how, like, how one really worked for me or what happened um, in the middle of one. I was. I have my at the time at the time I had an actual space dedicated to a laboratory studio had you know where I'd do my physical work and all these other things and um was working on a set of very basic you know kind of almost engineering problems about setting something up to get something done and um you know I was going to sleep each night and sleeping and having dreams and then one of these nights, I woke up and my dream was a lucid dream and i was in my studio, and I was working, and then I happened to look up, and I realized the wall in front of me wasn't my usual wall, and then I heard these voices behind me, and I turn around, and I'm in like this hallway of a museum, right, and there's a tour guide coming through uh, with a bunch of um, (laughs) tourists, so to speak, and he's saying, welcome, welcome to the Museum of Alchemy, um, we're going to show you some of the basic things of the history and what have you. And they start f- going and I figure, Oh, well, cool. Got a tour guide to the history of alchemy in my dream world. <laughs> not I'm, I'm tagging along. And so um, I started to tag along and he stops and he turns and he looks at me and he goes, Oh no, not you. Huh? And I'm like, what? He goes, no, 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 no. You should go through that door. Oh. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm in. Um, and so I go in and this is really out of like, you know, this, I was in, the, if you've ever been to the Museum of Natural History in New York, they have that huge animal dioramas and they're really unreal. So I was in, it was like one of those right in front of me, except it was filthy, all right? And so then, um, you know, the obvious thing, right? One must polish the mirror sort of a thing started, I just started figuring, well, I got to see what's behind here. And I started going and going. And quite honestly, uh, this is where I have to kind of stop the telling of it, because it just gets kind of so kind of weird that it just, I I can't. Uh, But what, but what it did was to indicate to me, um, oh, I don't know, I don't know how to put it, Um, a, a, a further way to get there faster if you know what I mean. It was sort of, and this is what you hear in, um, oh, in the Chaldean oracles actually is one place. I was thinking of some other texts, but in the Chaldean oracles when Hikate is called forth and she says, well, basically don't call me, basically don't call me on the office number. Let me give you my mobile. Let me (laughs) give you my mobile. Here's how to really reach me. Make a statue of lizards, do this, do that. And this is the thing you'll get me directly. And so it's those kind of experiences that I've had where all of a sudden something that was hypothetical or like you would, you would, you would say and then you would, you would experience and you have a whole different experience of it in, in grounding to it. So this is what happened there. And it was not what I was expecting. It was not where I thought it was going. I had another one that started out as a cowboy funeral. Right. Don't ask me why there was a cowboy funeral in Brooklyn, but there was a cowboy funeral in Brooklyn, and there I was sitting amongst the mourners in these metal chairs, and um, I became aware that it was a dream. You've had lucid dreams, or all of a sudden you just kind of like, "This is a lucid dream." I'm like, "Wow, this is weird. I'm at a cowboy funeral, and this is a lucid dream." And I started thinking well I should be able to put my hand through the chair in front of me right and I start banging the chair in front of me the guy in front of me turns around what are you doing and it's like well this is really a dream and I put my hand through it I'm like wow this is really really cool and then this turned into a procession and the procession had all these banners of very much like um the splendor souls like these very alchemical images and as they went by, it was kind of showing uh, both a way of descent, which was also a way of ascent in kind of uh-huh. working with images, if you understand what I mean. So it's things like this, and sometimes they're so they're so they're so individual, or they're almost like so bizarre that if you were to say them, they'd like, say, "Well, yeah, I've had that," and it's like, "Yeah, we most likely have had," but it's all that kind of. Uh, preparation beforehand that it makes for that insight and this is where I think Carl Jung was pointing at it as a synchronicity uh, those kinds of things Um, and so it's it's part of that except that synchronicity just doesn't kind of reaffirm what you think it actually will you know uh, really show another way or uh, another channel someplace uh, deeper generally that's amazing.
4: Um, that's just like the painting has the rabbit hole at the very front, the alchemical, you know, it shows the guy pointing at the rabbit hole. And he's like, no, right. you can go right through here. OK, that's that answered my question directly when you said it shows you a like almost like um, a secret cheat code or something to use video games. But I think I've spoken enough. It's definitely Miguel's uh, thing. I'm going to definitely yield it. But I really appreciate that. Thank Yeah,
5: you. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're quite welcome, you know, but that's how images operate you know i mean and images of your mind as you're as you're going through this sort of, of of dream work and a lot of times these things will be done as play on words i mean as you all know just through regular dream interpretation
3: awesome well said indeed yeah dreams yeah that's a whole other realm <laughs> i know and it's like
5: i mean who was it um uh, john waters the the, the filmmaker right There's nothing b- more boring than listening to somebody else's dreams <laughs> <It's, Yeah. laughs>
3: and everybody has weird dreams nobody oh, yeah, ever says course, i right. had a normal any dream
5: other you know yes i got up today i went to work i did what i normally <laughs> did and then i came home that yeah. was the dream i had like <laughs> oh okay <laughs> it's, yeah.
3: and to uh Where, where can working i'll have this on the show notes but where can the audience find out more about you
5: oh uh well uh Kepri Press, K-H-E-P-R-I Press.com uh, is my website. I do, um, it's my portal for my own work. Uh, I do zine work. I do book work. I do um, all focused on alchemy, all focused on uh, th- sort of the theurgic arts, if you will. So things like on artificial life, the golem, animation of statues, uh, dream work, et etc. et cetera as well as um the the sequel to the practical alchemy book is my other book alchemy the poetry of matter so if you um go to the website KepriPress.com, uh you can you can you can check out the works there uh, i can't i can't show you anything because this is
3: audio only but it will be on the show notes there will be links definitely check it out i highly recommend practical alchemy and uh, as brian said he's got books on alchemy and music alchemy and anything you wanted to know from any angle books
5: of color yeah
3: Yeah, but definitely start out with practical alchemy it will make your life better if you're interested again in trying to understand the universe and our place (laughs) in it
5: all in 128 pages
3: exactly exactly what well, deal of a laugh and you don't a deal of a lifetime you don't have to there sell you your soul
5: <laughs> there you go
3: well brian uh, we really yeah. appreciate you coming on a young bye thank you thank for you your so time much. and good luck with everything
5: thanks so much it was a lot of fun
3: and there you have it my beloved true seekers a truly led to goal first part with brian what a cool cat in our second part brian will share more on spiritual alchemy he'll talk about how alchemists throughout history protected themselves against greedy kings and other servants of the archons we'll get into the history of alchemy covering some chinese alchemy and the silk road too as well as prominent female alchemists Brian will also give us some cool info on the alchemical themes in the show Breaking Bad. And we'll talk about alchemy-themed movies in general. And much more. So please become a patron, a patreon, red circle member, or AB Prime member for the full alchemy. As well to support this red pill cafeteria. I won't get into all the means to support on this show, but you can find those means on the show notes, my homepage, The God Above God Dead Kim, and other channels. Or just contact me and I'll be happy to help. So many cool bonuses, and you'll be closer to being part of a true Gnostic community, especially if you join the Finding Hermes program with our bi-monthly meetings and presentations of Gnostic rituals that can help you thrive in this Philip K. Dick world. Don't forget I'm offering voiceover work for any project you might have, and that I'm always happy to take donations via PayPal or Red Circle in the show notes, or if you can assist with my Amazon wish list. We need Gnosis more than ever in the Black Iron Prison. And it's time you unleash your inner alchemist to ride that Ouroboros all the way to eternity. I know you can. And I know you can do so many wonders. I just know it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself. Your true self. Here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always.